Hello, my fellow fallible humans. This is the Red Roof Recovery Show, and I am your host, Tanya McIntyre, joined by my co-host, Sir Lancelot is here. My beautiful husband of a long time, plus three decades. Wow, that went fast. Uh, Lance and I are now business partners in our endeavor of addiction recovery. Uh, We have a one-week program, a residential program that we run through our home, and also we're developing online programs to have perspectives from both sides of addictions, since uh, Lance lived with me through my addictions for more than 20 years, and shook his head, not understanding, why can't you just stop? Just stop. Uh, So he brings that family perspective. um, And unfortunately, there's very little resources available for family members of loved ones who are struggling with addiction and overcoming addictions and learning to live uh, in a sober life um, that's ongoing. So Lance brings that family perspective, which is, I think, very valuable. And I'm grateful that you are joining me here every week now, my darling. Um, Otherwise, I don't know if I would have the wherewithal to continue it. Um, It was just, it's well, sometimes it's still a daunting task because I'm facing my uh, anxiety and you help alleviate that for me. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you in so many ways. Thank you. You're welcome. And... Oh, I've been promoted. I'm now a co-host instead of a guest. <laughs> Thank you for noticing. And sweetheart, um, your tone of voice compared to yes, mine. Yes, I know. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Just so um, our wonderful uh, sound engineer, Rob, at 98.5 CKWR doesn't scream and say, no, not again. So thank you, Rob, and 98.5 CKWR for your continued support and encouragement of um, having the Red Roof Recovery on that platform as well in the beautiful town of Kitchener, Ontario. Yay! Lovely. Not a lot of people want to talk about addiction or recovery, so I am very grateful that 98.5 CKWR has uh, stayed on board with me to promote this this uh, idea that we should be talking about addiction and recovery. Uh, you know, there's still so little known around addictions except that it it affects different people differently and all addictions are different and recovery is different. There is no such thing as one size fits all, which is why I'm so passionate about talking, speaking publicly about my addiction experience in a 30-day rehab and eight years in 12-step programs where I continued to relapse and watched my peers not returning from their relapses, which set me on another path to look for something uh, less shame-based and more secular uh, in its recovery approach. And I was grateful to find something in 2018 called SMART Recovery out of Mentor Ohio. Self-management and recovery training was a game changer for me. And I don't think it's any coincidence that when I became a facilitator with SPART in 2018, I have now managed to sustain my recovery. I have uh, now celebrated recently, we're recording this in 2022, and I have celebrated four consecutive years of being free from drug and alcohol addictions. So it works for me, which is why I'm passionate about sharing it with others, cognitive therapies, changed my life. 
And the concept uh, that we're going to be talking about today on the show is unconditional acceptance. That was huge for me because I think the eight years that I spent in 12-step programs relapsing every year, I would not accept that I had a chronic illness that I needed to not only accept, but learn to live with without feeling deprived and um, like a failure, which is you know, the messages that I had been getting in 12-step programs, that I was a moral failure, um, I had character defects, I was uh, weak, and I needed to look to a higher power in order to have any serenity in my life. And I still love 12-step programs. I think they're great personal development programs. I love the slogans, take what you need and leave the rest. I love the peer support. I, I still go to my favorite 12-step meetings because there's a lot to be said for what uh, that organization has done for people. Absolutely. And I think it's important, the key, one of my favorite acronyms, the key, keep educating yourself. Keep looking for things that work for you. And smart cognitive therapies work for me. And the concept of unconditional acceptance, like I said, that was the game changer for me. Uh, the USA Unconditional Self-Acceptance, the UOA Unconditional Other Acceptance, and the ULA Unconditional Life Acceptance. You can find those on the Smart Recovery YouTube channel. If you go to YouTube and just look up Smart Recovery videos, you'll find that playlist. And on that playlist of tips and tools for recovery that works, you will find those three unconditional acceptance pieces. And for me, that has provided a smoother path of recovery. Absolutely. Reaching a place of unconditional acceptance of myself, of others, and of life. Okay, so if we take your unconditional self-acceptance, what was the, the main stumbling block to accepting was it accepting that you were never going to be able to have a drink or do another drug? Yeah, I mean, the messages that I, I was receiving from not only 12-step programs, but society as a whole. I mean, the even though addiction is a biological vulnerability, it's a chronic illness, it's still the most villainized, criminalized condition, stigmatized condition on the planet. And that baffles me. I'm just thinking, why? Why as a society uh, do we still treat people who are suffering with addictions like pariahs, like a second-class citizen? I just had a, an experience actually on social media. I try to limit my time on social media for a variety of reasons. Um, it's not a healthy environment to be exposed to by any stretch of the imagination, but I do like to... Uh, do what I can to promote addiction recovery and to let people know that they're not alone, they're not morally flawed, there's nothing wrong with their character, they have a biological vulnerability that can be managed and that can be uh, incorporated into your life so that you're not feeling deprived for the rest of your life. You don't feel like uh, you have to struggle in this condition. Um, some, so someone posted on Oprah um, on social media recently, opioid-related deaths doubled during the pandemic. 
And I commented, addiction is a biological vulnerability, like any other mental health disorder. Yet, it's still the most stigmatized, villainized, and criminalized condition on the planet. And then I got this reply. Now, I want you to just let this soak in, because this is the societal construct that we are dealing with. She says, that attitude is what is killing them. We don't provide drunks with alcohol. Why are we pampering addicts and allowing them to hurt themselves and be parasites on society? Addiction needs to be dealt with and treated in rehab. Giving addicts needles and giving them the weapon that is hurting them is madness. They need to be rounded up and put in rehab. So that was my recent experience on social media that illustrates the stigmatizing mindset that still exists in our society. I find it mind-boggling, and that's why I have dedicated my life now to speaking publicly about my experience with addiction and my experience in recovery. Okay, so let me try to unpick that a little bit, the response you got. Mm -hmm. One is that people who don't have an addiction or let me rephrase that. People don't have a destructive addiction because most people have some type of addiction, whether it's to exercise, to work, to food, to binge watching films, gaming, whatever. Everyone has shopping. Shopping, which can be a destructive addiction. However, we, most people talk about when people, most people talk about addiction, they talk about the ones that are destructive that break up families, that cause health problems, yes. that cause people to start stealing and stuff like that to get the money to facilitate whatever they're doing. So that's one of the, the things that people, you know, gravitate towards too. People who don't have that type of addiction mostly never think of themselves ha as having an addiction. And most people, normal people, should we say, whatever normal is, think, well, I can only have one beer. I can stop drinking or, you know, I can stop doing this, smoking, whatever. Just stop. You know, I, I, as I've said multiple times, I've, I, when you, we used to talk, I can empathize with when you're trying to, when you are trying to give up your addiction to alcohol and struggling with it. But I don't know what it's like because I haven't drink, drank, haven't had a drink for four years and it doesn't bother me. And I could go out tomorrow with my friends and have three or four beers and come home and not drink for another four years. It really doesn't matter. So a person without an addiction thinks, well, just give up. Yeah. And I also think that, as that lady said, round them up and put them into rehab. Well, unless someone is at the stage where they're ready to give up their addiction, you can stick them in there for 12 years and let them out, and they'll go straight back to it. Yeah. Our prisons are full of people who are challenged by addiction. Their addictions are what got them into prison. 
Mm. Now, is there, within the addiction, is there the, what, what's the acronym? FOMO? And you know how much I love. Fear, Fear of missing. missing out? Yeah, FOMO. So in smart recovery, we kind of joke and we turn FOMO into JOMO, the joy of moving on. Um, <laughs> but but is, there, is there a part of, if you feel like you're not having a drink or you're not having your drug or whatever, that you're missing out on some type of fun or you're missing out on something? Is that part of it? Well, that actually, yeah, actually that is part of it because there were a great deal of benefit to the addictions. And that's another thing that we do with cognitive therapies, uh, that we look at the benefits that we were getting from our addictions. So cognitive therapies, cognitive is just a fancy word for thought and perception. So when we look at our thoughts, when we start to analyze, examine our thoughts, um, it's quite fascinating to see that it falls, always falls into a negative narrative. And, you know, dealing with the messiness of life, emotions are difficult to manage, when, especially when it's, um, when it's involved with childhood trauma. One of my favorite doctors, Dr. Gabor Mate, um, he has a great definition for addiction. And uh, his experience actually now makes him a trauma expert because he worked in Vancouver on Vancouver's east side which is considered to be the most densely populated chronically addicted segment of the population in North America if not the world and he worked with these people for 12 years and he said we have to stop asking why the addiction and start asking why the pain because he said the common thread of in, my, in his experience in the 12 years of talking to people who were challenged by uh, heroin and meth and cocaine, he said, it's all connected to childhood trauma. So he says addiction is manifested in any behavior that a person finds relief or temporary pleasure in and therefore craves, suffers negative consequences as a result of the behavior and then continues it in spite of the negative consequences. So that synopsis of addiction is craving pleasure and or relief in the short term, we get negative consequences in the long term, and we have difficulty or inability to give it up. And the same brain circuits are involved in all addictions, whether it's a substance, whether it's sex, relationships, gambling, shopping, eating, work, exercise. It's not the behavior that defines the addiction. It's the internal relationship to it. So, okay, so and, and it's all about this dopamine reward axis that I talk about all the time. Um, you know, dopamine is that reward pleasure that it affects the pleasure center of our brain. And I believe that, um, you know, because it's a biological vulnerability, I think there's um, a, a deficit already in health, being able to regulate healthy dopamine levels with people who are challenged by addiction. Uh, that, but that's my belief, right? That everybody is yeah, still. There are some studies that back that up. Sorry, I didn't yeah. catch that. Huh? There are some studies that back that that up. That uh, people with addictions <clears throat> tend to have a lower, um, lower baseline dopamine. Right. And so, as you say, you put it deficient, so they've got a lower baseline. So when they Basically, when they start at the beginning of their addiction, which is normally where you're chasing the, the pleasure part, um, 
all you're doing is coming up to or a little bit above the normal baseline for the average person. And when you stop using, you know, uh, you go down, back down to below baseline. And as you say, the dopamine is a is the happiness drug. It's the contentment drug yeah. that we produce. So, yeah, people with lower dopamine tend to tend to have more angst, should we say? Yeah. So the, there's there's good uh, there's good documentation now for for that. But let's. I, I was just wondering one one thing you said that you know that you pointed out that the the addiction rate went up that doubled over the pandemic at least yeah now if your supposition was right that addictions come from childhood trauma does it have to be childhood trauma or could it just be does adult trauma come into it as well well according to dr gabor Matte, it's normally something to do with childhood that we carry into adulthood but because the trauma is um, kind of trapped in our childhood and we drag it with us into adulthood we are incapable of dealing with our emotions in a healthy way so I learned early on in life I was about 11 years old when I, I discovered that uh, taking you know a shot of vodka or a shot of scotch out of the liquor cabinet could um, I equate it to uh, putting my thumb on the the rubber the, the gauge of the rubber tire on my bicycle when I was a kid? If I overinflated the tire, I'd have to put my thumb on the gauge to let mm -hmm. out some of the air, and that 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 sound, that feeling, that's how I equated that feeling. It was just releasing the pressure I was feeling as an eleven-year-old, and. You know, there was a lot going on in the family at that time. Um, you know, lots of uh, oh, violence and anger and yelling and just total dysfunction uh, from the adults who were supposed to be, you know, demonstrating the example of life. When you don't have good examples in life, uh, I think that's what starts pushing kids. You know, they're traumatized. They're looking for uh, a, a way to express the trauma and if they find a drink or a drug or a behavior can help manage those emotions, then that's what I think makes us prone to addiction for sure. What a, the thing that I have trouble with there is, so if that's right, there were a lot of people out there with unresolved childhood traumas that they hadn't acted on until the pandemic came along. Or was it just the fact that the pandemic came along and people saw their businesses going out and they were disconnected from family, friends, and which is trauma? Sure, absolutely. Like I said, it doesn't have to be a childhood trauma. As we're seeing uh, now, we're seeing the fallout from the pandemic. So clearly it doesn't have to be a trauma from childhood. Uh, it can be a trauma at any point in life. Our inability to manage the messiness of life Okay. And that's where your acceptance of life comes in. But Unconditional acceptance. Yeah. I had lots of, ex of conditional acceptance in my life. 
reaching a point of unconditional acceptance was the huge leap for me to make because I, I just couldn't wrap my head around it. How can I unconditionally uh, accept people who have harmed me in the past or, you know, the, the guy who raped me, um, you know, it goes on and on. How can we get to a place of unconditional acceptance around ourself, all the things that I've done? How do I reach a, a place of forgiveness and acceptance for myself unconditionally? Holy mackerel. And again, because I was indoctrinated with uh, Roman Catholicism as a child as well. So I was born in sin. And the shame that you carry with just from that alone, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it can be a little daunting for a child to, again, that trauma definitely I carried through uh, my life and I'm still dealing with. So to reach mm -hmm. a point of unconditional acceptance, uh, forgiveness, will I ever forgive the people who have harmed me in the past? I'm not sure if I'll ever reach a place of forgiveness, but I have reached a place of unconditional acceptance of my fellow fallible humans. And that makes it bearable for me. Well, you know what my, my favorite song from the life of Brian is? <laughs> Life's a piece of when you think, when you of, think it. of it. And <laughs> the way I look at it is if, if you accept that, as you put it, life isn't fair. It isn't going to get, you're going to be up sometimes and down sometimes. And, you know, life is, life is tough sometimes. Mm -hmm. And like you say, everyone's, everyone's flawed. Like we've all got our problems. We've all got our idiosyncrasies that we're dealing with. So life is a bit of a piece of, yes. when you think of it. And, uh, if you accept that unconditionally, I think that's a good starting point. Yeah. For me, it was. When I started to think about my growth as a, as a person, you know, I got married at 19, had two children by the time I was 23, separated at 23, back together, and, and life wasn't wasn't good and I was so busy trying to look after the family and sort things out you never work on yourself you know, divorce moving away and trying to deal with that hole that was left in me and I looked at alcohol for a time and I woke up one day and said this isn't serving me and I stopped and this is why I think a lot of people without that push to an addiction, whether it is childhood trauma, because I think I have one of the best childhoods I can imagine. Um, you know, when you, when you can just say, well, I don't fancy doing that anymore and walk away from it. There's a huge part that you can't understand when someone like yourself, is walking towards a vodka bowl, crying and berating yourself, and you still pick it up and buy it and walk out and drink it. And people on this side of the fence go, what is that about? Yeah. So and how do we reach a time when we actually look at life as it should be, as a, a glorious adventure, because of, especially because it's so short-lived, but, you know, for many people, I think life 
has become pretty mundane. I think, you know, depending on the role that you're playing in life too, you're following the same routine on a daily basis. You know, we go to work, we go run errands, we get the groceries, we're caregivers perhaps as well. And then you throw kids into the mix that opens up, you know, a whole other dynamic where you're shuffling them around, shuttling them to various activities, uh, you know, getting them to do their homework, trying to manage their digital exposure. I mean, we are now exposed to a 24-7 hypodermic needle of dig digital stimulation, trying to mm -hmm. not only manage your own exposure to it, but then managing your kids' exposure to it. You know, and then it's the same cycle over and over and over again. It gets heavy for people. Um, so, yeah. Life has always, always been mundane mm -hmm. for, for the majority of people. Possibly even more mundane in the past. But now we have, we have things. I mean, we're told we should be happy. Mm -hmm. but, you know, that is the essence of life, to be happy. Well, What is happening? Now, well, now, as you said, we've got a hypodermic syringe where you're getting a peek into a window in a person's life when they're smiling at a camera or a 30-second, not that I do it, TikTok thing where they're dancing around and apparently exposing themselves for whatever reason. But that's the view of that person's life, and it looks perfect. That's a snapshot. I can remember um, when we first got married and we were struggling and uh, you had all the pictures of when you were in the D Dominican Republic and in all the pictures you were smiling and you were tanned and you were happy and, and I'm thinking, I don't think I'm doing a good job here of being a good partner. Like, yeah, you don't seem as happy as you were. But I was looking into that snapshot of that picture when you was out at a party or out down on the beach. Right. I wasn't looking into your life. And that's a cognitive distortion that we talk about on our smart meetings. Yeah. So, how, and then how do we live a life of intention is another thing that I've learned to do in cognitive therapies. Asking myself questions like, what do I want for my future? Why do I want it? What am I doing about it? How do I feel about what I'm doing about it? What can I do differently to get what I want? What would changing what I do and getting what I want make me feel? You know, these deeper questions think are worth asking and answering on a regular basis. Um, you know, I think it can be not only revealing for you, but also enlightening when you take some time to reflect on your emotions to the roots of what you feel and why you feel it. So for me, again, that was, uh, you know, a game changer for me is to uh, start learning how to manage my emotions because I think uh, if anything, addiction is an emotional disease. It has certainly uh, was for me. So I'm grateful to have found SMART, self-management and recovery training, teaching me that I can be the master of my mind, the master of my moods, uh, and that it's unrealistic to think that we need to achieve a state of never-ending bliss. It doesn't exist, even though we've created multi-billion dollar industries trying to achieve that. Yeah, so I'm, <clears throat> I was talking to my cousin um, on the weekend and we were reflecting because we're both, you know, I'm into my sixties and she's going to be 60 soon of how, when we're young, things like, um, clothes detergent, clothes washing detergent or 
dishwashing detergent, they basically showed you how good it was. But if you look at the adverts now, they're, they're selling you a lifestyle. They, they show you these happy people and the products makes them happier. They're not selling a product anymore. They're, they're selling an illusion that this is going to make your life better yes. because our life is supposed to be perfect. Yeah, it's powerful messaging. But it's the good bad. news is we can train our brain to serve us in healthier ways. Well, that's good. Thank you, sweetheart. No, it's always good to have a chat. It is indeed. Have we have we even answered anybody's questions around unconditional acceptance? I would say go to Smart Recovery videos on YouTube and watch the unconditional acceptance videos around life, yourself, and others. It's less than 17, 18 minutes. And I think for me, it's helped smooth out my path of recovery discovery. If you want that unconditional acceptance meme, email me at redroofrecovery at gmail.com. And if you or someone you know, if you think you might qualify for our unique one week residential experience, you can also email me at redroofrecovery at gmail.com. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and uh, throw some support our way. Thanks very much for being here. You are an integral part of my recovery journey, and I appreciate your ongoing encouragement and support. Remember, there's great power in knowing that the only thing we can control in life is ourselves. May the force be with you. And remember, you are the force.